Keep your Bibles open if you would. And if you want to mark Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 kind of towards the end of this morning's message. The title of this morning's message is Lazarus, Us, and Resurrection. Lazarus, Us, and Resurrection. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we love you and praise you. When we think about what this day means, Father, we do rejoice, and yet our praises do not rise sufficiently, Father, because we simply cannot comprehend, we simply cannot know the depths of what it means that Christ rose again. And all of the implication that that holds for us in our hope, in in our faith, in, in our life, in our eternity, and in our day today. I know we don't fathom it, God, and we don't relish in it, Father, because we so often, myself included, we so often live in the day by day as if there's no resurrection. As if there's no victory, as if there is no hope, as if there is no answer, as if there is no life, and yet Christ is life. So, Father, would you just somehow, in the only way that you can speak and open our hearts, open our minds, that the truth of God's word may settle into our lives and that the roots may go deep today. So that our faith as believers are strength, is strengthened and as There are gathered among us those who are apart from the faith today. Give them, Father, the eyes to see the glory and the majesty and the beauty and the life and the forgiveness and the hope that is in Christ. And may they be compelled to let everything else go and cling to Christ today. Would you help us? Would you please help us? In Christ's name, amen. Lazarus, us, and resurrection. You know, um, on Monday of this past week, I had no idea what I was preaching today, and that's unusual. Usually for two or three weeks ahead of Easter, 
I already have the passage. It's already in my heart. I'm already thinking about it, reading about it, praying about it, meditating about it. But for this particular Easter, it just wasn't there, even Monday. And I was starting to get nervous because it's Monday and Sunday's just right around the corner and I don't even know what passage I'm going to look at. And then I, just, I was just brought to, by, the, by God's gracious Spirit, brought to the story of Lazarus. And you know, you know the symbol when, when people say your mind is blown, you know, that's what it was. Tuesday for me, it was... Because what I began to see in this passage are the parallels between Lazarus's physical resurrection and our spiritual resurrection in Christ. And those parallels are, were mind-blowing. Just, And so I've been just... I've been diving into this passage all week long, and I'm, I'm so excited for the potential and the possibility of what God may speak to your heart. I know God has been speaking to my heart. And the first thing that I want us to think about, I want us, we're going to kind of walk through almost all of the chapter together in blocks of, in blocks of uh, verses. But the first thing that I want us to see is Lazarus' illness and our illness. Lazarus' illness and our illness. We're going to pick that up at verse 1. If you will, look in your Bibles with me at verse 1 of John chapter 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. The Bible says a certain man was ill. Now, Lazarus didn't have the common cold. This was not something that Lazarus was going to get over eventually. This is not something that he could work through. This is not something that the doctors of the day or the surgeons of the day could come and could help him recover from. This was what we would call a grave illness because that's where it's taking him. This is a very serious sickness. It's going to take him out. This is Lazarus' last sickness. Now think about that for a second because I want to draw a parallel because we have an illness. We have a spiritual illness. And it's not just a passing weakness. It's not just a character flaw. It's not just a personality defect. We have something really wrong and corrupt in each and every one of us. And it's not something that we can handle. It's not something we're going to eventually get over. It's not something we can call somebody else to come in and give us some kind of medicine or or talk or counseling or session. And we're going to kind of eventually finally figure it out and they can give us a cure. This is a grave illness that we all have. It's a very serious sickness And it is going to take us out. And the Bible calls it sin. And we've all been infected with it. 
It's alive and growing in each and every one of us. When I think about illnesses this week, I thought about, for me, as far as temporary illnesses, the worst of the worst for me is the stomach virus, right? Those things are horrible. I hate those stomach bugs. Nobody loves a stomach bug. That little bug gets in you, and it takes over, doesn't it? It's in charge. I mean, your head hurts, your body aches, your stomach is nauseous. You live in the restroom, right? You can't do what you would rather do. You can only do what the virus dictates you do. That's sin. It gets in and it takes over and it corrupts every single part of who we are. And even in our spirit at times, Paul says this in Romans 7, right? Even in our spirit at times, Paul says things like, I would really rather not do that, but I just keep doing that. He's talking about sin. It gets in, it corrupts, and it takes over. Verses 2 and 3. Now it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. Jesus held a special place in his heart for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He was deeply affectionate towards them. He loved them. Can I say something that should be surprising given the effect that we can all admit that there's something wrong with us, we don't do what we know we should do? The Bible says when we were sinners, God loved us. God loved us, even in our sinful sickness. Now, every time I sin, every time Will sins, I'm, I, I'm looking to God and I am saying, this is better than you. I prefer this to you. This is going to make me happy You can't make me happy. Every time I sin, that's what I'm saying. That's the very definition of sin according to Jeremiah 2. I didn't come up with it. And yet, the Bible says, He loves me. Here's one of those moments, right? He loves me in my sin. I don't love that way. I mean, I want to love that way. I pray to love that way. I try to love that way because that's the way God loves me. But when people say things to me and say things about me and do things to me, and I I, I can't say that I turn around and say, boy, I love you. I love you for saying that. I love you for doing that. I love you for the stiff arm. I love you for the cold shoulder. Man, I love you. I don't do that. 
I fall so, so short of the kind of love that God demonstrates toward us in our sin sickness. But the Bible says He just loves us. He just loves us. Verse 4, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Wow, this is, this is another one of those moments, right? I'm not going to keep doing this because you're going to think, He's an idiot up there doing that all the time. But just think, every time we come to something like this in this text, just think. Jesus, Jesus says this illness does not lead to death. Have you ever read John 11? Anybody read John 11? What happens to Lazarus? He, he dies. Jesus says this illness does not lead to death. Now, now wait a minute. So what does Jesus mean here? Does, does he not know what's going to happen at this point in verse 4? No, we know that's not true. We know that he's God. So he knows something we don't know. He knows more than we know. And so because we can read John 11, we can say at least this much that Jesus means the end of this story is not death. The end of this illness is not death. Death may appear to be the end of this story, but death is not the final word. I'm going to do something on the other side of death that obliterates its shackles. I'm going to take this illness, he says in verse 4, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through this illness. I'm going to take this illness that results temporarily in death, and I'm going to work through something that nobody else can work through. The Son of God's going to be glorified when I work through this, because nobody else can work through death. And when he does that, God's going to be glorified. This illness does not result in death. There's something on the other side. I've got something on the other side of it. And I will be glorified in such a marvelous, unmistakable way that I'm going to work. I will be glorified and therefore God will be glorified. The final word will be the glory of God, not death. Hang on to that one. The final word will be the glory of God, not death. This illness does not result in death. It's going to result in God being glorified. Now, when our limited human understanding and weak faith, if all we see is what Mary and Martha sees, we don't get that. But church, this is precisely what sin does to us and with what Christ does to sin when we are in Him. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We're all infected with this illness and its payment to us is death. When we choose to sin rather than trust God, sin repays us with death rather than, the pro rather than its promise. 
It's just like Adam and Eve. Sin has always been this way. It will always be this way. Back in the very first sin in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, God said, don't eat that. Don't eat that. You will die. Eat everything else, but don't eat that. You'll die. And the serpent came along, Satan, as the serpent came along, what did he say? You won't die. You won't die. God knows that you'll be like him. So there's the choice before us every single day, a hundred times a day. What God says and what the enemy says, what the flesh says, what sin says, what the world says. And, and we rationalize like Adam and Eve did, right? Well, I know what God says, but it sure does look good. But I bet it tastes good. But I bet it'll make me wise. And that's the same thing we do every single time you sin. That's what you do. You take what God has said and you say, I know what God says. I know what the Bible says. I know what the preacher's been preaching. But... And then we have that list of justification and rationalization to do basically whatever we want to do. But sin deceives us in the very same way it deceived Adam and Eve because guess what? They ate the fruit and guess what happened? They died. They died spiritually and then they died physically. Sin does that the, the same way to us. It holds out that delicious fruit. It makes that tremendous, delicious flesh, life, promise, satisfying, deceptive promise, and then it delivers death. We take the bite of the fruit, and then it delivers death. Then it delivers chaos. Then it delivers destruction. Then it delivers regret. Then it delivers spiritual death. When we, when we are sinners apart from Christ, it's spiritual death, eternal separation from God, condemned by our own doing. But listen to this. Jesus says to everyone who believes in Him, who comes to Him, who embraces Him, your sin sickness does not lead to death. Death will not have the final word. I'm going to take your sin and do a work with your sin that nobody else can do. I'm going to take your sin and do a work with it so that I am glorified and God gets the glory. And that's why in Ephesians 1, when Paul is laying out about, the, about our salvation and the God's plan of our salvation and His work of our salvation, that he keeps saying over and over, to the praise of His glorious grace. We are saved to the praise of His glory. We are saved to the praise of His glory. Exactly the same thing here. Jesus says this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. That's exactly what Jesus does with our sin. It doesn't lead to death, but it leads to the glory of God. Lazarus' illness and our illness. Now secondly, let's think about this from this passage. The way God works, 
What Jesus is up to in this passage, Mary and Martha, they don't get it. The way God works, we don't get it. Most of the time, we don't get it. His, the way God works is beyond us. So let's look at verses 5 and 6. So Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. And look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He, he loved them. Now look at verse 6. Look at this. Watch this really carefully. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed Two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't compute with me. I don't get that. He stayed, so, so the, the love of Jesus, look at verse 5. The love of Jesus for Martha and Mary and Lazarus the love, the deep love that he has for them is meant to explain his actions in verse 6. Now, Jesus really loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so he stayed two days longer where he was when he heard that Lazarus was about to die. You get that? I don't get that. That doesn't compute. His ways are so far beyond us. He, we see in such a limited scope and He sees all. Our knowledge is very minuscule and He knows all. His, his thoughts are far above us. His actions are far beyond us. I mean, think of it this way. If you got, when you got, when you get home today, if you get word that your loved one or your spouse or one of your children has just been rushed to the ER, you're going to do what? Get in the car and go to the ER immediately. Are you going to sit down on the couch and say, well, I'll give it two days? I want you to get this. What's Jesus doing? You see, it doesn't compute because God doesn't act like us. God's ways are beyond and above. The way God works, we, we often don't get it. I mean, even, even this past week, even this week, I was talking to Summer and I was telling her, I know God is sovereign. I know God is just. I know God is good. But I don't know why he's doing what he's doing. I don't get it. It doesn't compute. I don't know what he's up to. I can't see it. Anybody else been? Y'all are looking at me with some really blank faces. Has anybody else been there? I often can't see and I often don't get why he does what he does the way he does it. I mean, I know exactly what Martha means. Look at verse 21. When Jesus does arrive on the scene, Martha comes out to him and she says in verse 21, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. 
Man, I get that. God, if you would do what I think you need to do, everything would be all right. I get that, man. In verse 32, Mary says the same thing. I know exactly how she feels when she comes out to see Jesus. She says the same thing. Lord, if you just would have been here, if you would have just done what I would have done if I were God, if I were Jesus, if I had your power and your divine authority, I would have done things completely different. And if you would do things like I want you to do things, this wouldn't have happened. Has anybody ever been there? Can I just say something for me and for you who have? I feel like there's just a handful of us. Maybe you're there right now. Listen to this. The reason why we would rush to the ER to be with our loved one is because that's all we can do. Hear me. That's the reason why we rush there. That's all we can do is be there and pray. That's it. We can't fix it. We can't solve it. We can't change it. We can just be there. That's all we can do. The reason why Jesus didn't rush to Lazarus when he heard that Lazarus was kind of in the ER is because he can do more than just be there. We say, yeah, Mary and Martha got that. That's why they said if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have had No, no, no. No, see, we don't get it. We don't get it. You just said, you just thought that, didn't you? That's why Mary and Martha said that. Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. No, no, no. What, what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. I can do more than that. <laughs> I, I got more planned than that. I got something bigger than keeping him from death. I got something bigger. Better. Did you just do this? If God doesn't do, listen to me, for those who are wondering or confused about what God's up to because you can't see it, you don't get it. If God doesn't do what I would do if I were God, then we've got to learn to trust Him. Because he plans to do more than we would do. Thank you. (laughs) Lazarus' illness and our illness. God's ways are far beyond our ways. Let's look at a kind of a, a third point from this passage is Jesus is more than we expect. Not only does he do more, he is more. And so now we get to the passage where Elizabeth read for us this morning. Beginning in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. 
But, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. In other words, he's saying, this is what I'm getting ready to do. So she just said, whatever you ask God to do, he'll do. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And then look what she says. Oh, I love Martha because I feel like Martha. So many times, verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Oh, I feel for her because, man, I've lived in that passage. Have you? Oh, this is incredible. The, the humanity of the Scripture. G, Mar, um, um, Martha says, I, I believe, Jesus, I believe you can do anything. And this is us praying, right? Jesus, I believe you can do anything. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, oh, I know. I believe that in the sweet by and by. But what I'm, what I'm talking about, Jesus, is right here and now. This is where our faith crumbles. In the right here and now. I mean, how many times, I mean, if you are a believer here today and I went and asked you personally, hey, do you believe that Jesus is going to return and take you to heaven and you're going to live in the presence of God forever and ever in the sweet by and by? Do you really believe that's going to happen if you're a believer? I'm anticipating you're going to say, yeah, absolutely. I believe that. Then why did, why did you and why did I fall apart last week? Because we believe that God's going to do all of that in the sweet by and by, but we don't believe He's sufficient enough, faithful enough, powerful enough, promising enough, loving enough, good enough, wise enough for the right here and now. Boy, I identify with Martha. Do you? I believe when I draw my last breath, I will open up my eyes to my Savior. But when I'm living in this life, man, I hit, I hit obstacles and trials and hardships and struggles. And I, don't, I just don't know if God's got my back or not. And look at Jesus' reply. Because, boy, this is, where, this is where it's at, church. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I love that. He didn't say, I'm going to bring the resurrection. He didn't say, I'm going to resurrect him. He said, I am. So what he was saying there, church, is this. Lazarus is not going to rise again in the sweet by and by. We are not going to rise again in the sweet by and by because there's an event scheduled on that day called the resurrection. It's not the event. It's the person. We're going to rise because he's going to say, rise. Because he is the resurrection and life. That's who he is. 
That's what he's like. That's his very essence. That's his very nature. That, that's the description of his deity, resurrection and life. That's, that's what Christ is. That's who he is. Christ is resurrection and life. Now, so that, that's the truth. Christ is resurrection and life. He, he, he doesn't just bring resurrection and life. He is. His nature, his being is resurrection and life. Part of what makes him God is resurrection and life. It's in him. It's his nature. So Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, whoever believes in me, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So here's what Jesus is saying. He, in his very nature, just like will, part of my very nature is male. Male. That's will. Bald. That's will. It's in my nature. It's just who I am. Christ says, my nature, who, resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, that is, he invites us, compels us, commands us to come to him by faith, to cling to him by faith. Whoever attaches to resurrection and life, whoever gives themselves, surrenders themselves to him and embraces him and loves him, whoever believes in me, you see that? In me, and he is resurrection and life, and when we connect to him and give ourselves to him and we are in him, then there are some tremendous promises that flow from who he is to us. His very nature of being resurrection and life, when, when I love him and embrace him and give myself to him, that resurrection and life that is Christ becomes mine. Now I have a resurrection. Now I have life because I'm in Him. In other words, you can't die. And that's what Jesus is getting ready to go illustrate when he stands outside of Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus is in me. Death is not the final word. That's what Jesus illustrates three days later while we're here for Easter. He's resurrection and life. You don't kill God. He's life. That's why I believe in that coming resurrection because I'm, I'm in Him. And if I'm in Him, then His resurrection and life is in me. Death and eternal separation is not the end. We will live because He is life. That's a beautiful, wonderful passage. Our last point for this story, this narrative of Lazarus, is then in, in, in the conclusion verses where Jesus proves his claim, right? So he claims, I am resurrection and life. So he's going to prove his claim by illustrating in Lazarus' physical resurrection 
what he does for us immediately in our spiritual resurrection, which is foreshadowing the coming resurrection when our physical and our spiritual will be reunited and resurrected. Y'all got all that? That was a lot. Jesus proves now in this narrative by Lazarus' physical resurrection, he illustrates that he is who he says he is, And what he does in Lazarus is what he does in me when he spiritually raises me. And when he spiritually raises me, that's a foreshadowing of the coming resurrection when he raises me to eternal life on that great day of the Lord and my physical and my spiritual are reunited and glorified in his presence. All of that he's picturing here in John 11. So then the question comes this, right? Jesus says, I am resurrection and life. I am more than you think I am. Not just that I can do more, I am more. So then the question is, is he more? Is he really resurrection and life? If we are in him, is this really true that we won't die, that we'll live? That death is merely just a passage into life? Is all of that true? Look with me. Quickly here. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, and this is after Jesus has said all that he said, right? Martha, the sister of the dead man, this guy is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He has been dead four days. So she's talking to Jesus, and this is the way we talk to Jesus. Are you sure you want to do this? So, listen to this. Jesus does what we can do. He arrives, and then he prays. Verses 41 and 42 is Jesus' prayer. So, Jesus does what we would do in the ER. He gets there, and he prays. And then he does what only he can do. Which now, in his timing, right, makes all the sense in the world for verses 5 and 6. You remember those verses that didn't compute? Remember that time you didn't get it? Remember that time you couldn't see it? Now we're going to see in verses 41... In, in, verses, in verses 43 and 44, what we clearly couldn't see in verses 5 and 6. So in verse 43, when he had said these things, when he had prayed, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now at that point, that's make or break, right? This is either a guy that's totally lost his mind and has a God ego complex. Or this is God. 
This is resurrection and life. Lazarus, come out. So what's going to happen? Verse 44. Catch the English words here. The man who had died came out. Wow. Did you do that? Wow. He had died. And all Jesus did, all he did is say, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. This is precisely the picture of what Christ does for us spiritually. In our new birth, in our salvation. I was spiritually dead. I was a dead man. I was six feet under the dirt of my sin. The odor of sin and death was all over me. I spiritually stank. And Jesus came to my grave as a sinner, as an enemy, dead in my sin. And he called out, Will, come out. And I was suddenly alive. I suddenly believed. I could suddenly see. I could suddenly repent. I could suddenly embrace. Now look with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is our conclusion. Because I want you to see that what Jesus did physically at Lazarus' tomb is what Jesus does in us spiritually when we come to Him and embrace Him and believe in Him. And Paul states it so wonderfully in these graveside terms. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he's speaking to those of us who are believers who formerly were unbelievers, and he says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So what, what good thing do dead men do? What, what anything do dead men do? You, you were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins in which you walked. Following the course of this world, this is how we lived our life. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the enemy, the spirit that is now work at the sons of disobedience, that's who we were, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. This is all we did, just carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind so we were by nature children of wrath. We were under the wrath of God because of our sin like the rest of mankind. We were just sick, sickened, rotten, dead sinners. Now look, look with me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us. Remember the story of Lazarus? He whom he loved. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Here it comes. Made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved. Here, here's the resurrection language. Listen to this. And raised us up with him. Remember what Jesus said, whoever believes in me. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you see, your spiritual resurrection is the preface to your eternal resurrection. God has already placed you in heaven with him. Our bodies and the rest of us just have to catch up with it. Now look at the last verse I'm going to read to us today. Verse 7. Why does God do all this? I mean, we're sinners. We're enemies of Jesus. We just live for the passions of our mind and of our body. We just do what we want to. And we, we, we turn from Christ. We eat the apple. We don't care for God. We're children of wrath. Why does he do all this resurrecting? Why does he do all this grace? Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, see, there's resurrection. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness. Kindness. Toward us in Christ Jesus. Remember, we were dead following the course of this world, living out the desires of our flesh and of our mind. And he resurrects us and saves us and lavishes all this grace on us so that in the coming age, he might show us the imme- his immeasurable riches to us in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you know what heaven's going to be like? God is going to show me how day by day, minute by minute, moment by moment, (laughs) he was being kind to me in Christ Jesus. A sinner. God's going to show me how all of those verses 5 and 6 days, I've had a couple of them this last week. So God's going to show me, Will, on that day that you couldn't see it. You didn't get it. It didn't compute. He's going to show me how he was actually being God. And I'm going to praise him forevermore. I guess the invitation is, don't you want that too? Come to Christ. He is resurrection and life. Let's pray.
Father, you are so good. You are so immeasurably kind. You are so wonderful. Your word is so powerful. Would you do something in our hearts and our lives today that looks like resurrection, that is resurrection? We ask for it all in Christ's name. Amen.